You're listening to RTI Audio, powered by Rocky Top Insider. This is the RTI Press Pass with Rick Butler and Ryan Shumpert. All right, and welcome into the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass podcast. My name is Rick Butler, joined to my left by the one, the only, Ryan Shumpert. It is a nice and chilly day here in Knoxville, Tennessee. It is Thursday, October 20th. We are in the afternoon. Man, we're having fun around Tennessee athletics right now. Boy, is there a lot to talk about, is there not? Yeah, there is. Certainly uh, still plenty to to recap from Tennessee's big win over Alabama as the Vols get ready for UT Martin. And then a little hoops uh, down in the the Yellowhammer State earlier this week. Yeah, a little hoops going on. Obviously, we got to talk about Tennessee's 6-0 start to the season. We'll kind of talk about the halfway point of the football season so far, but then Ryan, like you just alluded to, man, you've been on the road the last couple days. How's that been? It's been good. Yeah, nothing uh, you know. after going to Pittsburgh and Baton Rouge. Four, four hours to Birmingham <laughs> isn't too bad, and got myself through Chattanooga both times without too much, uh, too much trouble. Okay, obviously that's the trouble spot, as we saw coming back from LSU. Yes, <laughs> well, it's always the trouble spot. It's always least, the trouble spot. You can just shoot up 75 and don't have to change interstates, it can sometimes be okay. Yeah. But if you're if you're changing interstates, it's a nightmare. Well, glad you are back in town here with us. Obviously, we went to uh, Josh Heupel's press conference earlier today. That was on Thursday morning. Kind of talked to him about his last final thoughts heading into the UT Martin game this Saturday in Neyland Stadium. Thankfully, it's going to be one of the early games, so... If you're going to the game, you can go. You can get back home in a good, reasonable time. Then you have your whole Saturday afternoon and night available to you as well. All right, before we get into the podcast today, hey, want to give you a quick reminder to go ahead and subscribe to the show right now. Hey, what are you waiting for? Go ahead and subscribe to the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass podcast. We are coming to you every single week in the middle of the week like we are now. Obviously a day late right now, but hey, that's because we had media days to get into. But we are also coming after coming to you after every single Tennessee Volunteers football game with our instant reaction from the show. As you may or may not already know, we do put our instant reactions up on video form from the field right after the press conferences, but we've also been doing kind of an extended 20 to 30 minute instant reaction podcast as well right after these Tennessee football games. So be sure to make be sure to subscribe, lock yourself into the RTI Press Pass podcast today. That way you don't miss anything going forward. But Ryan, we got a lot to get into. Let's go ahead and start, though, by going backwards in time a little bit. Back to Saturday night for Tennessee's win over Alabama. Man, I, I, I really... It's it's hard to escape, right? The, the highlights or the talk or, or anything like that, man. It is just the buzz around town. You can really see how much it, it excited this town or rejuvenated this town. What have you seen the last couple of days? Yeah, you're certainly right, and I think it... Uh, it comes at a great time, you know, Tennessee schedule, a great time to have UT Martin because it would be the letdown spot of all letdown spots uh, on Saturday. And uh, they get an FCS team, a good FCS team, one that's ranked in the top 15, but uh, certainly one Tennessee should be able to handle. And, yeah, it's, you know, I think since the last time uh, we talked to you all uh, on Saturday night after the game, it's just been cool to see a lot of the videos uh, from people reacting, especially some of the former players and, uh, you know, some some more of that of just kind of stuff in the locker room with, with former players, Joey Kent uh, and Jalen Hyatt and uh, uh, Peyton Manning and, and all sorts of 
Source of former Vols uh, and then some recruiting stuff like that as well. Uh, see some recruits' reactions to the big win. Yeah, no doubt about that. Did, by the way, speaking of former players, did you see the video of Cordero Patterson on the sideline at the Falcons game just absolutely talking smack to anybody and everybody who would listen or maybe even people who weren't listening as well? Kyle Pitts got upset. He's the he's the Florida Gator tight end. Did you see that video at all? I did see that video, yeah. I mean, I think Kyle – or excuse me, Patterson, who's been hurt the last couple of weeks, is – He's soaking in. I mean, he was obviously he was at the Tennessee game, and then obviously that's not too you know three hour drive back to Atlanta. Yeah, but yeah. He uh, he didn't seem too focused on the 49ers on the sideline. No, I feel like he's been one of the most uh, vocal former Tennessee players uh, this season. He he loves Tennessee, man. He every single game after the game or during the game or whenever it is, like you said, he he's on Twitter. He or he's at the game himself. He's been popping off all over the place. Hopefully, he gets back to the NFL field very soon. Yeah, I don't think that was. A super super serious injury. I mean, he was put on the IR, but I think the expectation that it was going to be about what I think four weeks is the minimum. Uh, you have to stay on it, so kind of right around that time. And uh, obviously, he was having another really good season before he got injured. You know, one of the things that you just mentioned a second ago, Ryan, was the recruiting aspect, and I think that was man such a massive part of the weekend that's really hard to to put words to it. I, I mean, I, I think that. Anybody who was there at the game, especially if you were there as a Tennessee fan, you you really soaked in that environment, the lights, the spectacle of everything. Obviously, the game being what it was and going to the final play of the game, so every single play mattered. I mean, it was a a four-and-a-half-hour contest that your eyes were glued to the field or to the screen every single time. Man, Tennessee had a lot, and I mean a lot, of top-tier-level recruits in uh, who got to witness everything. And, you know, sometimes we see those recruits leave uh, in the middle of the game. They leave sometime early. Maybe Tennessee has some kind of plan for them. Man, a lot of these recruits, it looked like, stayed till the end. I remember even just being on the field, looking to my left, and seeing like three or four kids with these prospect tags on, knowing that they're recruits as well. They were on the field. They were celebrating. It, it looked like a great environment. Yeah, I mean, it certainly was, and, you know, it's kind of cheesy, but, you know, it's still a Josh Heifel line like that. That's college football. That's American sports, as good as it gets uh, on Saturday with all the fans, and, uh, you, you know, it just shows how much it means to people And for the 15-game losing streak, and you're right. I mean, there's not a better recruiting tool Tennessee could have had for the game to go down the way it, it did and it, it them to win, and I think it kind of goes, you know, two ways where Josh Heifel can – obviously, it's easy to sell your program when you're 6-0 in, in year two and you beat – Alabama and you have more ranked wins than anybody in the country but you can sell so easily uh, to the offensive players of you've seen it I mean this is we're not even doing this with our guys these are the guys that we inherited and it works so well and then on the flip side I think it's easy to sell especially in the secondary that and a linebacker there's early playing time to be had at Tennessee you can come to somewhere that you can win right away and still you can play right away and still win right away which isn't really a combination uh you can sell a whole lot in recruiting so you're right i mean a massive massive weekend for them really their second one that they've had a ton of people uh, on campus for in uh, the last month and change when you're dating back to the florida game and i think uh certainly one to watch really two to watch uh, one in the 2024 class caleb beasley uh i think we talked about maybe last week on the podcast yeah um, uh, the Lipscomb Academy from Nashville, cornerback, four-star. He's going to announce his college commitment Friday after, or Friday night, uh, actually following Lipscomb's game against CPA uh, there in Nashville. And he was been at both uh, the Florida and the Alabama games, obviously coming right off the Alabama visit. Visit and then the other one uh, in the 2023 class, Davian Hobbs, the defensive lineman from Concord, North Carolina, who's a, a top 100 prospect, I think a five-star on one of the sites and a four-star on most others. So he... Uh, Visited, same situation, visited for the Florida game, visited for the Alabama game. 
he uh, announced that he's going to uh, commit, I believe, on November 25th, here at the end of this month on, on his mother's birthday. Uh, and, you know, I, I don't think that one's close to being over. He's going to officially visit Alabama this weekend, and he has another official visit lined up to Georgia for the Tennessee game. So there's a long way to go in that one, but certainly a guy that Tennessee's had on campus twice, and, and you certainly think they have to have a little bit of attraction there right now. What would you say? His mother's birthday on what? On what day? November 25th, I believe. Oh, okay, November 25th. Yes. Okay, so not October. Not yes. just a, Okay, so a little bit of time down the road. Uh, yeah, and then Tennessee picks up a commitment uh, on Sunday after That's the right. Alabama game from Mazio Bennett, a, a really talented, I believe, four-star receiver out of South Carolina, a, a guy who's who's long, athletic, and talented. I, I mean, that's the kind of guy who, you know, South Carolina was was looked to be a strong player in that recruitment, but I think everything that, you know, Tennessee has been able to show for the last year and a half, man, it's very attractive to these wide receivers, to these skill players, especially to these offensive players, because they want to go in, they want to be able to play in a system like, you know, like one that allows Jalen Hyatt to score five touchdowns if you put in the work. And then like what you said, you know, with, with the secondary and especially on the defensive side, man, if you're one of these kids, you, you see a, a route to playing time at, at some point. So, yeah, a lot of success for recruiting over the weekend. And then, Ryan, going back to something that you just uh, started your, your thought with a little uh, – that you just started your thought with a second ago was Josh Heupel's line, right, when he said this is college football, like this is what it is. Man, that's even the same kind of thought that some of these recruits had had watching the game. Uh, yesterday, I got to talk with Jacob Odin, who is a four-star athlete. Uh, a lot of these sites have him as a defensive back. A lot of these sites have him as a safety. He, he very much told me that he considers himself just a pure athlete, right? He can play all over the field. But he was one of these class of 2024 prospects that was at the game on Saturday. And, and here was his exact quote to me about the environment, about Neyland Stadium, about the fans. He said, quote, that was turn like that was some of the most fun I have had on a visit. That's college football. That's the best part, seeing everybody happy and celebrating after the dub. So that was fun. And I think again, you know, it you can't really read it on the words, but there was so much excitement that he was talking with. You know, there was so much uh, uh, almost wonder and almost curiousness that he was talking about, right? When, when recalling everything that was going on at the game. Jacob Odin also had some pretty darn good quotes uh, about his time in Neyland. You can go and read more of them on RockyTompInsider.com. But just a couple. He said, man, it was turned the whole game. Like, the whole entire game. People were yelling every play after everything that happened. Neyland, they were singing their song, the Tennessee song. So after everything, it was turned, especially at the end. And then Tennessee also took the recruits, you know, with it being such a big weekend on campus, they took them over to the college game day set on Saturday morning. Allowed them to see just the the sea of humanity that all converged on the hill early on Saturday morning just to be able to soak in that experience as well. And here's what he had to say about that. He said, there's a lot of people here. That was my main thought. It's early in the morning, a thousand people in the store, a thousand people at game day. There's nowhere to walk. It's hard to get through. You've got to squeeze through. So that was my thought walking around. I think that probably gives you a pretty good indication of what uh, just the the chaos that these recruits are walking through, the, the chaos that these recruits had fun kind of interacting with along the way. Uh, and again, I'll, I'll go back to the vol shop. He was just blown away right at the amount of people in the vol shop on campus. I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, it is. And certainly the whole spectacle, the whole day is okay. great. Great recruiting recruiting tool for Tennessee. I will say I did go in the vol shop on, uh, on game day. Even the day before game day, because I had a little bit of family in town. It was, it really was nuts. Like, I'd imagine that, that that's what, 
you know, Voshop is like before all these games and especially the big ones. But it really was the craziest I'd ever seen that shop. I mean, it was impossible to even, you know, just walk five feet in front of you without bumping into four people along the way. It was a... <laughs> It's a pretty packed atmosphere. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I bet it was. I've, I've never uh, experienced a ball shop on game day, but I, I imagine it's pretty hectic. I would, uh, if you if you can, at some point, if you're walking past it, just just take a stroll through. It's uh, although you might need a little bit of time to navigate the the foot traffic that is there. But Ryan, let's go, let's go back to the actual game itself, players on the field, everything like that. Do you have any kind of takeaways here four or five days after the game that maybe have taken a little bit of time to develop, maybe just starting to come to you now? Nothing huge. Uh, I, I think probably the de- I think the defense probably played better than and it gets credit for, uh, you know, upon upon rewatch and, and stuff like that. Because I think a lot of the plays they gave up were just really good plays by Bryce Young and really good plays by Alabama. I thought, you know, it's easy to point to this game from a defense standpoint and say, oh, it was a lot like the Florida game. They just couldn't get stops. And you're right, a lot of times they couldn't get stops. But Florida game, there was just guys running wide open 20 yards down the field and not very talented wide receivers. Not Alabama had to make a lot of contested plays. And then obviously Bryce Young, Tennessee couldn't bring Bryce Young down in the backfield. So a lot of broken plays that uh, turned into some chunk plays for Alabama. And then again, I mean, I do think I talked about this after the game, but you know, most important thing, they forced Alabama to kick some field goals. Uh, two in the first half, and then obviously – uh, at the end of the game, they made uh, Will Record kick a 50-yard field goal instead of being able to get closer. And, and I think that really is such a huge difference in these games because of how good Tennessee's offense is and, and how much the difference in seven and three points is. And I think especially uh, with how good Tennessee's offense has been this year and not having to settle for field goals, uh, especially when they get in the red zone. Um, they score touchdowns on uh, what I believe now is 11 or 12 uh goal-to-goal goal situations this year, and I think that we've seen it a lot. We saw it less in the Alabama game. We saw it in the Florida and the LSU game with the, how much the, both those teams went went for it on fourth down against Tennessee, just kind of the pressure that Tennessee's offense has put on uh, opponents' offenses, and, and while Tennessee's defense certainly has its limitations, I think they've done a pretty good job of capitalizing on that as well. Yeah, you know, I, I feel like a little bit of a broken record, but I've been saying it since the beginning of the season. I, I've been saying it really since that Pittsburgh game. But it is that bend but don't break. Uh, I you know execution that I think you get from Tennessee's defense that that has been impressive throughout the season so far. Man, you talk about field goals right there. I'll flip it a little bit. I, I did not even realize that uh, really just how much Chase McGrath's final kick got tipped there at the line. That I think it was, if I can recall from the top of my head, I believe it was maybe number forty-seven who had. Uh, broken through the line, and he did get one of those big paws up on the ball. I, I, I was pretty shocked to see just how much it was tipped. Also, got to give a lot of credit to Chase McGrath. I mean, you got to real. Granted, I'm not a kicker. I've never been a kicker, but I feel like you you really got to put some power into one of those kicks to especially have it be tipped to that caliber, still be able to maintain maintain its ball flight and get through the uprights. I thought that was a really impressive play, but I didn't even necessarily realize how it how it had been tipped at the line like that. Yeah, no, I mean, I from a lot of different angles had watched it after the game, and I couldn't tell if it had been tipped or sure. not. Sure, yeah, yeah. It looked really close, and Chase McGrath obviously kind of said the same thing, but you're right, now more views we've seen, it definitely was tipped, and 
you know, credit. I think that makes Chase McGrath look a lot better. The fact that it was tipped. I would agree. Uh, and that it, it had 41 yards uh, on a 40-yard field goal. And so uh, you're right. I, you know, I'm sure Josh Heupel mentioned uh, today in his Thursday press conference that there's some special teams things they need to get cleaned up. I imagine that's one of them uh, that was not very good blocking uh, by Tennessee in the interior. Uh, the way 47 was able to get through there. And I think a lot of people kind of thought, you know, he stood up on the center or the long snapper, which you cannot do. It is a legal play, but that, that wasn't the case. He went over to uh, the guard. I, I don't know what the positions are called uh, on the on uh, the the block because you got a lot of you got all, all everybody's playing offensive yeah. line. But he went right over the guy to the right uh, of the long snapper, Matthew Solansky. So uh, I think that's certainly something Tennessee's going to look to clean up. But give a lot of credit to Chase McGrath. That one, he got that kick pretty high uh, to not get completely blocked, just get partially blocked, and yeah. then to have uh, certainly the leg strength that it, it still got there even with the deflection. Yeah, when you think about transfers that Tennessee has brought in, Chase McGrath certainly. Uh... Certainly high on that list uh, of productive players. Maybe not. Maybe doesn't show up as, as much as some of the other guys, but you know has been great in his role. I believe, and we're actually this is leading me into my next point. Uh, but I believe Chase McGrath. Yeah, nine of eleven on field goals made so far this year, eighty-one point eight percent. But you know, Ryan, on multiple different times this week, Coach Heupel has talked about. Uh, the players getting a little bit of a, quote, dose of reality this week from the assistant coaches. You, look, you have a big game against Alabama, but it's a 52-49 to 49 game that you won on a last-second field goal. There's obviously going to be plenty of things to clean up, plenty of things to get straightened out before moving forward in the rest of the season. So, Ryan, that's kind of where I want to have a conversation today on the show. Six games in the season. We are officially at the halfway point. I believe we're moving into week eight of college football, but Tennessee's already had the bye week. So, 6-0 under the belt. Now, this season, I, I think for a lot of people, ha- have exceeded early expectations. I know for me and you both, they have. When we were picking to these games at the beginning of the season, you and I had some kind of a combination of losses to Pittsburgh, Florida, Alabama, to some kind of degree, maybe even LSU. And I think for the most part, that's speaking, uh, that's speaking fairly broadly, right, to anybody who was kind of trying to project or trying to predict Tennessee's season. But... Those, those expectations have been exceeded with the win over Florida, Pittsburgh, LSU, and Alabama. Tennessee now sits here 6-0. What do you kind of think has been the biggest strength for Tennessee here in the first halfway point of the season? Well, it's quarterback play. I mean, that's that's definitely the biggest strength. And I mean, when you look at where Tennessee's better at uh, than where I, I expected, I think it's the offense. And you know, I thought the offense would be really good. I didn't think it would be the best in the country, which uh, it really has been to this point, or at least them or Ohio State. And uh, it's been phenomenal. They've been able to outscore teams uh, really outside of the Pittsburgh game where the defense had to, to step up huge with Keaton Slovis uh, being injured for Pittsburgh. So uh, to me, it's a, a much improved, or maybe not a much improved, but an improved offense that even went from being really good to really, really good. And I think a lot of that credit belongs to the offensive line. Tennessee runs the ball. A lot better than they did a year ago, and especially, I mean, I feel like I'm probably a broken record on it, in the short yardage situations, so much better. In the Inside the 10-yard line, when the field shrinks and it gets harder to pass, Tennessee's a lot better running the ball than they were uh, last year. And I think while the offense, or the passing attack gets so much noise, and rightfully so, Hooker has been really good, what they've been able to do at receiver without Cedric Tillman is incredibly impressive and Josh Heifel and Alex Golish just deserve a, an absolutely ton of credit as does Ramel Keaton and so does Jalen Hyatt and Brew McCoy the guys that have stepped up uh, in his place but the way the run game has done the things that because the the high tempo the deep plays that stuff's great that, that stuff can make your offense really good which we saw last year but right. I think kind of to fine-tune things Tennessee's a lot better on offense and then defensively 
you know, I think we talked about it all offseason. Can Tennessee's defense just get a little bit better? Can they? And I think they are a little bit better. I think it's still uh, maybe the jury is completely out on what the journey of this defense is going to be over the course of the year. I think the secondary is bad, which we thought was a very uh, likely possibility, and it still is bad. But Tennessee's front seven, they've gotten even better defending the run, which is somewhere they were already pretty solid last year. And I do think they've been a little bit better in the pass rush when they bring four, even though it's pretty consistent bringing yeah. a lot of pressure. Uh, and it's still not great bringing four, but I do think they're better there. Well, I, you you took the uh, to me you 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 took the uh, the best answer right there. I, I would agree. I think quarterback stands number one, and Hendon Hooker is in these Heisman conversations for a reason. It's because he has been arguably the best quarterback in in college football this year. Just in the way that he has been able to be a maestro, in the way that he has been able to. Or, uh, uh, conduct this this orchestra of an offense has been very very impressive, but Ryan, I'll, I'll kind of go with the next kind of obvious answer for that question. Man, I think the coaching has been extremely impressive this been. year from from Josh Heupel being at the top and, and just kind of everything that that his that his umbrella covers. And, and I do go back to the offseason leading into fall camp to get to this point where we are right here. I, I think you can just really see his professionalism and the way that he conducts himself carries through to this team. I, I think a couple guys have been asked in the past couple weeks, hey, like, is this, is this really who Josh Heupel is? Like, is he calm, cool, and collected, but also very fiery and competitive at the same time? And, and a lot of these players have said, yes, that's – that's who he is. That's kind of the mindset that this team has now, and that's really what's been able to be successful for them. I think you look at Tennessee, the defensive side of the ball for Tennessee, and you see how great of a job that Tim Banks has done, but especially Rodney Garner. I think to be able to have that defensive line playing as good as it is right now with the pieces that it does, it doesn't have a Matthew Butler, right, who, who was one of the most go-to players in all of college football last year, obviously was a fifth-round draft pick in the NFL. That doesn't really maybe necessarily has a guy like that. I think Amari Thomas is very good, but just the ability to get all these guys on the same page. I, I think you got to give a lot of credit to Rodney Garner. Man, there's a lot of guys we could talk about from this coaching staff. I, I won't use too much breath on that, but I, I really think that the coaching has been to me, one of the most impressive aspects of the start to the season and really one of the biggest reasons why these players are set up in a successful position to be able to go out and make these plays like Hendon Hooker and Jalen Hyatt and Byron Young are doing because of the coaching that's been there really this whole offseason leading into the point that we're at now. Yeah, without a doubt. Uh, I, they've done a phenomenal job. I think all you look at the head coach and both coordinators have been really good. And I think specifically uh, when you – one, you know, we talked about they were one and three in, in close games last year. Not a very good number. I think their game management has been better. Now they've won uh, really two really tight games in Pittsburgh and Alabama. And I, you know, I think the Florida game was tight for a long way, and then it wasn't tight, and then it was tight again. Um, so uh, you combine that, and then with just obviously we knew Josh Heifel was really good offensive coach and could scheme stuff up well. But yeah, you've seen even more of that. Uh, the way Tennessee. I was able to come out and really just blitz uh, LSU from the, the jump in that game. And the fact, I mean, there's no getting around. I mean, Josh Heupel and Alex Golish coach circles around uh, Pete Golding and Alabama's defensive staff. You know, I don't know how into the weeds Nick Saban is these days uh, with the defensive game planning. But the way Tennessee was just consistently able to get Jalen Hyatt matched up one-on-one with the safety. I mean, it was uh, fringe coaching malpractice on the Alabama side that that kept on happening and because those guys didn't have a prayer to guard Jalen Hyatt one-on-one and Tennessee was very creative and continually got those matchups and they kept on going back to it and they were able to exploit it frequently Saturday. Yeah, no doubt about it. All right, that is 
little bit of our football talk for the afternoon right now. Again, Tennessee is 6-0 and here at the halfway point of the season, but there's still a lot, and I mean a lot, of football to be played. We're going to be breaking it down for the rest of the season. But coming up next on the slate for Tennessee, you got UT Martin at homecoming this weekend. Then you host Kentucky. And then the big game that everybody is already looking forward to, that would be traveling to Georgia to take on the Bulldogs. I believe that game is on November 6th. So early into November, we will have maybe the biggest game left in the SEC. We will have that one underway. So until then, though, make sure to keep it locked into Rocky Top Insider Press Pass. We are going to take a quick break right now, then come back on the other side. We're going to talk about Ryan's trip down to SEC Media Days. We're going to talk about the Vol Hoops basketball team. It was Josiah Jordan-James. It was Santiago Vescovi, who was speaking Spanish, I saw during the press conference as well. There's a lot to get into. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. And now, back to the show. What's up, everybody? Josiah Jordan-James and Santiago Viscovi checking in here. He doesn't speak much English, so I'll be here translating for him. We're so excited to be here. I mean, it's such an exciting time to be at Tennessee Ball. Uh, we're excited for the season to get started. Uh, that's about it. That's about it. Can't wait to see you guys in TBA. Go you know, balls. that video right there, What's it comes from the SEC Network on Twitter. Santiago that was not at the on the here. main press conference stage, but Ryan, I got to ask you, did you have to and overcome maybe any I, uh, foreign languages that you weren't familiar with for the SEC media days yesterday? No, uh, Santiago Vescu was speaking pretty good English when he was uh, answering my questions, and uh, uh, he seems to, I think he has a little, knows a little more English than Josiah's giving him credit for. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I thought so too when I, uh, when I first heard the video, but I, I, I will say, you know, I, I have learned some Spanish in my day, taken plenty of classes, although the retention hasn't been as good as I would have liked it to been, but I could pl- pick out uh, plenty of words right there, I, I at least think, I don't know, maybe. Maybe. So Don't test fami- me, but... They sounded familiar, at least. Yeah. Yeah. Equipo means team. More than I knew. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Okay, let me go ahead and stop before I, before I embarrass myself a little bit even more. Ryan, SEC Media Days yesterday, that was for the men's, but also on Tuesday, we had the women's uh, Media Days as well. You were there for both. Let's start on Tuesday. Just kind of any quick thoughts on the, uh, on the women's basketball team coming up this year. Yeah, well, Tennessee uh, picked to finish second in the SEC behind the defending national champion South Carolina. Three Lady Vols players, Jordan Horson, Tamari Keat, and Rakea Jackson, all landed on the first team of uh, the preseason All-SEC selections. So, yeah, and it was good being down there and listening to Kelly Harper talk about her team and listening uh, to Tamari Key and Jordan Horson, who were Tennessee's two representatives down there, and certainly a lot of excitement, a lot of optimism around this team. And I think maybe one thing that stood out is uh, Kelly Harper talked a lot about depth uh, of this team. They feel like they have a lot. They're really deep. They have a lot of players that can help. And I think the transfer class uh, certainly has a, a lot to do with that. But, you know, talking to, to Jordan Horson specifically about, you know, her injury last year did, did forced her to miss the last six weeks of, of the season. And, and injuries were just kind of the, the theme for Tennessee last season, the Lady Vols. And I think there was, you know, maybe uh, Kelly Harper even said, 
there was a little bit of man, what if we could have stayed healthy? What could this team have accomplished? Uh, what how would the season would have looked different? Obviously, we know uh, the Lady Vols kind of struggled down the stretch of the regular season. Uh, I think maybe we even went five and six in their last eleven games. Yeah, uh, before uh, you know they survived against Buffalo and Belmont and made it to Sweet Sixteen for the first time since twenty sixteen to kind of put a positive uh, taste in everybody's mouth in the year. Uh, but certainly they didn't get to where it looked like they might get at the beginning of the season. I thought it was interesting the way they talked about how beneficial those injuries last year were going to be for them this year because a lot of young players got thrust into a bigger role last year and they've kind of been uh, they've been battle tested and they've gone through the fire and the gauntlet of the SEC play with a much bigger role than they would have had otherwise if Tennessee remained healthy so I think this is a team that is extremely battle tested a lot of veterans and really talented I think you know the question is just going to be how much does this group mesh together, and how much scoring can they find on the perimeter uh, on what should be a really talented Tennessee team? And it's going to be really good on defensive again. We know it's almost certainly going to be really good on the boards. That's a staple of this program, and having sure. uh, you know six six Tamari Key doesn't help or doesn't hurt either no. in that regard. No, not at all. It's great stuff right there. And obviously, you can go and find more on Ryan's trip to the Women's uh, Basketball Media Day over on RockyTompInsider.com. But, Ryan, like you said, you know, it, it, not surprising who they brought as the representatives down there. But like you said, it, it's going to be really interesting to see how well this team can mesh together. And I look at it as, man, how, how kind of quickly into the season because we know that SEC Women's Basketball – Man, it's a it's a tough conference, it's a tough league, so they're going to have to really start building up those wins early. That can only help later in the year, uh, as we saw last year a little bit as well. So that was on Tuesday. Again, you can go and find more videos and breakdowns from Ryan over on RockyTopInsider.com. But Ryan, then we get to yesterday, and that one's Men's Media Day over in, where is that, Birmingham? Is that where you were? Yeah, uh-huh, Birmingham. Okay, good stuff right there. So you said that uh, where Tennessee was picked to finish, what about the men's team? Yeah, men's team was picked to finish third. Uh, Tennessee had three different players land on the two, uh, the first and second team preseason All-SEC teams. That's Both those teams were just five players. It's confusing. Some of these in the preseason, but some in the postseason. Some of them are five-player All-SEC teams. Some of them are eight-player All-SEC teams. I don't know why we can't find some consistency uh, on the number of players on the All-SEC teams. But five uh, on the two preseasons, uh, Santiago Vescovi, who was a first-team All-SEC player last year in what I believe was an eight-player list. He's on there uh, on the first team, and Josiah Jordan-James and uh, Zakai Ziegler on the second team. And uh, I believe, yeah, Tennessee had the three players on there was the most of any school. Kentucky also had two players on the first team. I believe Alabama had two players on the second team. And then... Quick math. The other three, uh, I think Nick Smith Jr. from Arkansas, uh, Colin Castleton from Florida, and I can't remember who the uh, last member uh, of the uh, preseason teams were, but Tennessee obviously uh, very well represented on that list and and certainly uh, picked third to finish in the conference. I I think they're right in that top group. It's going to have a great chance to compete for an uh, SEC championship. Yeah, absolutely. I I think with this Tennessee basketball team, you got a a pretty good mix of veteran leadership who, who is coming back, who's ready to take that next step, who's kind of ready to lead Tennessee past the hump here uh, as they're winding down their Tennessee careers. And then I think you also got, especially with Julian Phillips, a, a very talented young player who is young, hungry, has all the energy uh, in the world, now need to build up a little bit more experience on the court. And I think, obviously, he's going to get plenty of chance to do that this season. So, Ryan, you got to, uh, to talk to the guys yesterday. You asked Josiah Jordan-James... So I will now ask you, what was kind of the first, what was kind of one of the big things that that he learned about his team in these final weeks that are leading into the season? Yeah, no, he said you know, I asked him that exact same question. Good, good leading by you, and uh, 
he, uh, you know, he kind of smirked and paused, and he says, "We're gonna be really good," and I know that for sure. So uh, there's a lot of uh, excitement, I think, uh, around the team, and certainly from the senior leaders, uh, Vescovi and James. And I thought one thing James talked about that was really interesting was. Uh, asked, you know, what has he learned about this team? He said how competitive everybody is and just how competitive everything is in practice, how much, whether it's one-on-one, three-on-three, four-on-four, shell drill, live scrimmage, everybody, no one wants to lose. Everybody is uh, really, really locked in. And I said, is that a change, you know, from the past? And he said, well, we had this before. But he says, I think the phrase he uses, it's really up. The the ante's really been up this season. So uh, I think you have the leadership, and I think there's a lot of, a uh, sense of unfinished business uh, from those guys with how last season ended uh, and losing in the round of 32. And, you know, I think no one's come out and said this, uh, but I think there's a lot of feeling of responsibility for those players. I think they know Rick Bar- the perception around Rick Barnes and his struggles to win in the NCAA tournament, what some people would say his inability to win in the NCAA tournament. I think a guy like Josiah and a lot of the players on this team, they take that really personally, that that's the narrative about their coach. And I think there's – uh, obviously they have a lot of goals they want to get to in regular season, but I think the whole year there's going to be a sense of we got to go prove it in the NCAA sure. tournament. If we don't do it this in the NCAA tournament, people aren't going to take us seriously. So I think that's going to be a, a really fascinating dynamic to, to follow this year on a team that, like like you really just said a minute ago, a lot of talented players back and some talented newcomers that I think will blend well as well. Wow, that's interesting. You know, I, I just – the idea of really understanding the perspective and that mindset of saying, hey, look, we want to be successful in the regular season, but we also want to be successful in the postseason, but we also know how much that means to not only the legacy of our head coach, but also the legacy of our current basketball program right now. We understand that that is a challenge that we need to uh, that we need to face head on and we need to defeat, frankly. That's, that's fascinating. Yeah, and you know, no one just came out and said it the way I said it, but sure. you heard Josiah, he talked, uh, really both Vescovy and Josiah, they talked about Unfinished business, and I remember, uh, I believe, I was talking to Rod Clark at Tennessee's Media Day a few weeks ago, and he said these guys hear the noise, and most of the noise is pretty positive. So, yeah. and if it's he's, the way he rephrased it, talking about hearing the noise and kind of hearing the doubters, that's where the doubters are. I don't think anyone doubts what this team has, talented wise, and what this team has really been able, this program has been able to accomplish, uh, even you know through the SEC tournament. Not, you know, I was going to say until March, they've had a lot of success in the SEC tournament too. Uh, but obviously, I think just that one lone trip to the second round of the tournament uh, in Rick Barnes' tenure has kind of been the what if, uh, like we said, kind of with Kelly Harper. And Josiah said, you know, I haven't made it past the first weekend tournament. I want to yeah. make it past the first weekend tournament. I want to make it past the second weekend tournament. And I want to be the last one standing there on uh, the first Monday in April. So you, you just talked about uh, on two different occasions the idea of unfinished business for this Tennessee basketball team, right? There's a goal that has eluded them that they are still actively trying to chase. We, we can understand that, right? You have a team, and they are chasing a championship. They're chasing a, a second weekend uh, in the NCAA tournament. They're chasing a third weekend, like, you, like you're saying. But, Ryan, did you also get a sense that maybe, you know, Maybe they also feel like the one who is being chased in the sense a little bit. Did, did you kind of feel like maybe maybe they have that target on their back from being the defending SEC uh, tournament champions? Did you, did you kind of get that sense at all? Or is it more just like, hey, you know, that's understood, but they also have a mission to go chase a goal. It's not necessarily about kind of, you know, protecting what, they, what they've already won or anything like that, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, I don't get that vibe at all. And I don't think that's necessarily from Tennessee. I think that's from other teams. And 
the top of the SEC is very competitive, and there's a lot of parity. And I think the program, you know, Kentucky is always going to be the chase as long as they're good in, in the SEC. That's sure. the big blue blood. And Arkansas brought in uh, three McDonald's All-Americans in a big transfer class, and they've been as high as number one, I think, in some preseason polls and, and such like that. So I think, I don't, you know, probably Kentucky is the one true one. I don't, if there's just so much parity at the top of the SEC in basketball that I don't feel like there's a, a major sense of, Anyone is being chased, but I think if anyone has the target on the, on their back, it's those two programs. I think Tennessee, uh, more than anything, feels like they need to validate uh, what they did. And again, that's that may not that may not be how they feel. I'm not trying to speak for sure. them, but that's kind of more uh, of the vibe I got from the outside perspective. You know, not necessarily the Tennessee perspective, but the conference as a whole. That is good stuff, right there. As always, everything that we've talked about so far, whether. It is football, whether it's the Lady Vols, whether it's the Vols basketball team, it is over on RockyTopInsider.com. Again, our interview with Jacob Odin, uh, Ryan's, all of his coverage from SEC Media Days this week, and of course, everything that we have from the Alabama game and for the UT Martin game coming up this Saturday, that is going to be over on RockyTopInsider.com. Ryan, that about wraps it up for today's show for the most part. Uh, Still got shout-outs I want to get into for a second, but as far as the football and basketball goes, seems like that's pretty much in the rearview mirror. Did we hit anything that you uh, that you wanted to hit on? Or no. did we miss anything? No, me? I don't think so. I think we got everything uh, on SEC Basketball Media Days. Okay, fantastic. Well, then let's go ahead and move into the final part of our show. How about a little bit of shout-outs? Yeah, so I'm, we, you kind of touched on it earlier with Porter L. Patterson, but you know, I'm just really, I guess the shout-out's more for the Tennessee football team who has put the former Vols in the position of uh, – a lot of orange we've been seeing in uh, NFL locker rooms this year uh, that hasn't been uh, from former Tennessee players. A lot of uh, bets being won by Tennessee players. And uh, specifically, I saw a couple. I don't even know who from Tennessee plays for the New York Giants. And I do the VFLs and the NFL report every week. I should know that. <laughs> and I, I don't know it. Oh, are you talking about the hat? Yeah, well, there's two different videos. Rashawn Evans, uh, who's a linebacker, maybe... He might be in Atlanta, so I guess that's not. There were two different videos. Uh, one of them was Xavier McKenzie McKinney, Xavier McKinney, who played safety at Alabama. McKinley? I think it's I think it's just McKinney. Maybe it's McKinley. Okay. Okay. Played safety at Alabama a few years ago on kind of the early half of those two teams. And then there was another. It was Evan Neal. That's who it was. The offensive ah, tackle. Okay. Uh, for the Giants, who were both wearing uh, Tennessee hats and their press media availabilities. And again, I don't even know who the Tennessee player is on the Giants. They would be losing that bet with. But uh, a lot of orange in NFL locker rooms so far this fall. Yeah, it certainly has been. There are uh, there are some uh, bolsterous former Vols uh, out there in the league right now that are very excited that Tennessee is winning, and they're not afraid to tell anybody and everybody about it. Cer- certainly so. Certainly so. Hey, shout-out to uh, a friend of ours uh, here at Rocky Top Insider. There was a great video that went around yesterday, but Trey White is a friend of ours over at Rocky Top Insider, and there was a great video yesterday uh, that his daughter Lexi put on Twitter, and I think it originally came from TikTok first. But, man, I, I think a lot of the people who are around this city, a lot of the people who are around the Tennessee football program or just Tennessee, Tennessee athletics in general, you understand the family kind of atmosphere and the environment that goes into being a Tennessee fan. I think that's one of the biggest things that I've picked up on in, in just the, the short amount of time that I've been working and really covering this team and this fan base. And this was a really great video yesterday. Again, a friend of ours here at RTI, but just kind of showing this journey, right? And Trey White's journey to beat cancer. And actually, you know, this uh, this video that was put out 
Trey White had beaten cancer on the same anniversary weekend as the Alabama victory. It was just a really cool video. It's a it's a really heartwarming video, I think, no matter who you are, no matter who you root for, anything like that. It's just a great kind of human being story. So just want to give a shout-out there, a, a good friend of ours, and uh, a good story all around. Yeah, certainly. And my last shout-out, uh, shout out a lot of people. It's shout-out to you, Rick. It's a uh, shout-out to, to Josh Pate. It's shout-out to, to Ben Gleason. A lot of really cool videos from down on the field and after the uh, – even not even down on the field, outside of the stadium, especially Ben Gleason, he followed uh, the goalpost uh, all the way. Uh, its whole three-mile journey uh, out of the stadium and to the river and into the fraternity houses. So uh, a lot of really cool videos that uh, have been able to, to soak in. And like I said, shout out you. I think you got the best one of the kick that shows just <laughs> – I mean, it did not <laughs> – it did not have any room for. It's pretty remarkable. It is pretty remarkable how close that kick was to missing short, or at least hitting the upright and seeing how the ball bounces. And when a ball's rotating like that, it could have bounced just about any way, I think. Yeah, it, no doubt about it. Uh, no doubt about it. All right, so that's going to wrap it up for us today. I think we've about covered everything that's on my to do list. We are going to get out of here, wrap up a little bit of more work today. But of course, we'll be back inside Neyland Stadium this Saturday morning really for the noon game we will be there covering it we'll be bringing you everything that we normally do for a tennessee football game so make sure you are locked and loaded into rocky top insider this weekend for all of your tennessee football news notes and coverage as always you can follow ryan on twitter at rshump00 you can follow myself on twitter at rick underscore butler but of course make sure you are following and you are staying connected with the entire network of rocky top insider social media that is at rocky top insider on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and TikTok. We are there, and we are providing some some pretty darn good content. So make sure you're locked in there. Make sure you're checking out RockyTumpInsider.com each and every day for the latest stories. Otherwise, we will see you back over the weekend for another episode of the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass.